welcome to A Reason to Talk with Chris Reason. This is the second episode of the podcast and where we talk or discuss murderers. And I want to thank my special guests today, Tanner and Sam, for joining me today. Hi. Thank you for having us here. <laughs> the fake applause. I, I had to add that. It's so quiet over here. I'm going to have to freaking edit this in post. Uh, most likely will anyways. Uh, we will be having a lot more episodes coming soon based on this, Russian Reviews, a whole bunch of other stuff. Sorry for the late update and skipping Saturday, but this is coming out the Wednesday uh, today at noon, uh, or Wednesday at noon, whatever. Before we get into that today, let's hear from today's sponsor. Any landscaping needs in the Wisconsin area, affordable and reasonable prices, then check out A1 Landscaping. Give them a call at 262-305-1524. That's 262-305-1524 for your landscaping and even lawn mowing needs. Call A1 Landscaping. The best you'll need, the best you deserve, and the best you will receive. All right. Today, we're talking about the Milwaukee, I don't know, legend. Uh, The Milwaukee cannibal, Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer. Uh also known as the Milwaukee Campbell or the Milwaukee Monster. Uh, When we do this, uh, chime in anytime you want. If you guys have any topics or if you want to mention anything, go right ahead. Otherwise, I'm going to start getting into this, doing some whole whatever, uh, pretty much going through what all he did and pretty much almost his entire life. I did skip out some stuff. Uh, Dahmer was an American serial killer and sex offender who committed the murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. Many of his later murders involved necrophilia, cannibalism, and the permanent preservation of body parts, typically all or part of the skeleton. Although he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, schizopal, schizophrenia, or something like that, personality disorder, and a psychotic disorder, Dahmer was found to be legally sane at his trial, even though being diagnosed with all that. I don't know how the fuck that works. You're diagnosed with three different like psychological psychological disorders, but you're still sane. But sometimes people are crazy, but they don't know. Whatever, Miss Quiet over there. <laughs> okay, I'm not doing this then. <laughs> you just talk closer. <laughs> Whatever. All right, anyways. You can edit this out. Fuck you, Chris. Oh. Uh, that's going to stay in because it's funny. <laughs> um. No, they probably did that just because of the law. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's the thing that just because they have mental health issues doesn't mean that they're completely incapable of controlling themselves. Like, well, that that being said, though, that you're also like during the trial, you're getting convicted of fifteen to sixteen murders in Wisconsin. That none of them you think like, oh, hey, yeah, he might be insane, but also him not pleading insane could also make it look like, oh, he's not guilty. And like try to go the insanity route. So, so what if he jail. was insane? He then... chose that. He chose to. I mean, I think they. They. I don't think he chose that. I think he. Uh, the person that was like one of the. Um, I don't know. During like the trial, somebody asked him to do like the psychological test, and they just found all that. And but they did it. But we'll get to further that later. Uh, down through the whole uh, episode. Um, he was convicted of the 15 of the 16 murders he had committed in Wisconsin and was sentenced to 15 terms of life imprisonment. Uh, on February 17, 1992, Dahmer was later sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment for an additional homicide committed in Ohio in 1978. So there was a couple murders, murders in Ohio besides Wisconsin, but they're mostly Milwaukee. So did he just kill them there, or did he bring them back here after he killed them? Uh, I think he killed them... No, he would bring them 
to his apartment. So or his grandmother's went. place first. Mm-hmm. And then his apartment. Um, the Ohio one, I think, was just more of a just a random thing because he wasn't in Ohio that long. Uh, born May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee. The first of two sons of Joyce Annette and uh, teletype machine instructor. I can't read my own hand, uh, fucking notes here. And Lionel Herbert Dahmer, a Marquette University chemistry student and later research chemist. Some sources report Dahmer was deprived of attention as an infant. Other sources, however, suggest that Dahmer was generally doted upon as an infant and a toddler by both parents, although his mother was known to be tense, greedy for both attention and pity, and argumentative with her husband and their neighbors. As Dahmer entered first grade, Lionel's university studies kept him away from home much of the time when he was a was when he was home, his wife, uh, hypochondriac, who had depression, uh, demanded constant attention and spent an increasing amount of time in bed. Um, on one occasion, she is known to have attempted suicide with, I cannot pronounce this for the life of me, equally, um, whatever. Consequently, neither parent uh, devoted much time to their son, who later re- recollected that from an early age he felt unsure of the solidity of the family, recalling extreme tension and numerous uh, arguments between his parents during the early years. Dahmer had been an uh, energetic and happy child, but became notably subdued after double hernia surgery shortly before his fourth birthday. At elementary school, Dahmer was regarded as quiet and timid. Uh, One teacher later recollected she detected early signs of abandonment in Dahmer due to his mother's illnesses, the symptoms of which increased when she became pregnant. With her second child, nonetheless, in grade school, Dahmer did have a small number of friends. So I think they're looking back towards with a kid, but clearly he's not really showing anything until later on after uh, first grade or roughly or so. I don't think they can blame his parents for that. I mean, no, like, but those don't even sound like that bad of parents. Like, there's a lot worse movie, parents though. whose kids don't eat people. Well, no, it's not just that. Like, it's not leading to the actual part. It's more leading to the fact that he wasn't like felt like they even cared that he was there type of thing and pretty much was ignored because of his mother i'm just saying i think there's a lot more to it so oh yeah there's gonna be a lot more to it than just that it seemed like they made them out to be worse characters in the movie oh they always do it's about it's not it's um uh a biopic or whatever just like how they did with queen where they left out a whole bunch of shit and changed a whole bunch of stuff around same thing with alton john's movie and every other biopic ever. They always change it just to get either the movie going along or to get it for people just to keep ahead of it and they don't want to like lose interest. And just keep people like interested in the movie in general. Uh, from an early age, Dahmer manifested an interest in dead animals. His fascination with the dead animals may have begun when, at the age of four, he saw his father removing animal bones from beneath the family home. According to Lionel, uh, Dahmer was oddly thrilled by the sound by the sound the bones made and became preoccupied with animal bones which he initially called his fiddlesticks. Do you think that if this person had better education that they would have become some sort of like anatomy expert instead of a mass murderer? No, he just he probably didn't think that. He probably just thought, yeah, you're taking interest in I guess you could say some odd things but like later on, like his father being the chemist. Right. They probably embraced it when he was a child, like, yeah, that's cool, you can be a doctor when you grow up, or, you know what I mean? But yeah. he was like, no, I want to play with it. <laughs> that's what she said. Um, or he said, depending on the situation. He occasionally searched beneath and around the family home for additional bones 
and explored the bodies of live animals to discover where their bones were located. So I, I feel like he took upon himself almost um, pretty much, I don't know what the hell you, uh, dissection or whatever of mm-hmm. live animals to figure out shit. In 1968, the family moved to uh, Bath Township, Summit County, Ohio. This uh, address was their third in two years, and the Dahmer's sixth address since marriage. The home stood in one and a half acres of woodland, with a small hut being only a short walk from the house where Dahmer began collecting large insects such as dragonflies and moths and the skeletons of small animals such as chipmunks and squirrels. Some of these remains were preserved in jars of formaldehyde and stowed within the hut. So he's taken the ideas of, like, the chemistry, mm-hmm. what, like, his father did with the bleaching and everything, or whatever. Two years later, during a chicken dinner, Dahmer asked Lionel uh, what would happen if the chicken bones were placed in bleach. Lionel, pleased by what he believed to be his son's scientific curiosity, demonstrated mm-hmm. how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. Right, so his dad taught him how to do it. <laughs> yeah, thinking right there, yeah, you're going to grow up to be a scientist and not a mass murderer, or whatever. Um, Dahmer incorporated these preserving techniques into his bone collecting and also began collecting dead animals, including roadkill, which he would dissect, dissect and bury beside the hut. With the skulls occasionally placed atop makeshift crosses, according to one friend, Dahmer explained to him that he was curious as how the animals uh, fitted together. Um, in one instance in 1975, Dahmer decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull upon a stick in the woodland behind his house as a prank. He later invited a friend to view the display, claiming he had discovered the remains by chance. So now he's killing innocent animals, animals and playing it off like it was a joke, and it wasn't even him doing it, that he just found that shit. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, the same year Lionel taught his son how to preserve animal bones, Joyce began increasing her daily consumption of equinol laxatives and sleeping pills further minimizing her tangible contact with her husband and children Dahmer committed his first murder in 1978 three weeks after his graduation on June 18th Dahmer picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks who was almost 19 Dahmer lured the youth to his house on the pretext of drinking Hicks who had been hitchhiking to a rock concert at uh, Chippewa Lake Park Ohio agreed to accompany Dahmer to his house upon the promised Upon the promise of a few beers with Dahmer as he had the house to himself. According to Dahmer, uh, the sight of the bare-chested Hicks standing at the roadside stirred his sexual feelings. Although when Hicks uh, began talking about girls, he knew any sexual passes he would uh, made he made would be rebuffed. After several hours of talking, drinking, and listening to uh, music, Hicks wanted to leave and didn't want and he didn't want him to. Dahmer bludgeoned Hicks with a 10-pound dumbbell. He later stated he struck Hicks twice from behind with the dumbbell as Hicks sat up upon a chair. When Hicks fell unconscious, Dahmer strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell, then stripped the clothes from Hicks' body before exploring his chest with his hands, then masturbating as he stood above the corpse. The following day, Dahmer dissected Hicks' body in the basement. He later buried the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard before several weeks later, unearthing the remains and paring the flesh from the bones. Uh, parring the flesh from the bones. Um, he dissolved uh, the flesh in acid before flushing the solution uh, down the toilet. He crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woodland behind the family home. So right there, you already see some sexual... I, I don't know. Urges. How did they find that information out? He's told them. Yeah. It's all from, I, th- I believe, from the psychological um, tests and hearings that he did when he was in prison. And finding out the whole basics of 
everything almost. Uh, that's my assumption. Well, usually after um, like serial murderers get caught, they um, enjoy speaking about it because they're not going to have the opportunity to ever do it again. So they kind of live in that past, and they'll tell people exactly what they did with details mm-hmm. and enjoy it. Pretty much because they're, they're one, they're getting off on telling you again what the hell they did. Um, and they're like, who cares? You've already been caught. Right. So, well, so and like, there was the signs of that in the beginning when he was a child and he showed his friend. Like, you already, he already wanted people to know. So he's showing people that he's insane. Um, let's continue here. After his return to Ohio, Dahmer initially resided with his father and stepmother and insisted on being delegated numerous chores to occupy his time while he looked for work. He continued to drink heavily, and two weeks after his return, Dahmer was arrested for a drunk and disorderly conduct which was fined $60 and given a suspended 10-day jail sentence. Dahmer's father tried to unsuccessfully to wean his son off alcohol. In December 1981, he and Dahmer's stepmother sent him to live with his grandmother in West Dallas, Wisconsin. Uh, Dahmer's grandmother was the only family member to whom he displayed any affection. They hoped that her influence, plus a change of scenery, might persuade Dahmer to quit drinking, find a job, and live responsibly. So on top of that, he's a huge alcoholic and always trying to get drunk and I, I don't know if that helped him through this stuff later on but it did something to make him like just be able to commit these murders and heinous acts he was drunk when he did them or at least about to be like drinking um, initially Dahmer's living arrangements with his grandmother were uh, harmonious he accompanied her to church willingly undertook chores actively sought work and abided by most of her house rules although he did continue to drink and smoke uh, this new influence in his life initially brought results, and in early 1982, Dahmer found employment as a fellow—I cannot pronounce this—pelobotomist at the Milwaukee Blood uh, Plasma Center. Um, where the hell did I just lost my spot? <laughs> Jesus Christ! He held this job for a total of ten months before. Being laid off, Dahmer remained unemployed for over two years, during which he lived upon whatever money his grandmother gave him. Shortly before losing his job, Dahmer was arrested for indecent exposure. On August 7, 1982, at Wisconsin State Fair Park... (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, dude. Shortly before losing his job, Dahmer was... Oh, I fucking repeated myself. At uh, State Fair Park... Uh, he was uh, observed to expose himself on the south side of the Coliseum in which 25 people uh, whatever 25 people were present including women and children for this incident he was convicted and fined 50 plus court costs in January 1985 Dahmer was hired as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory where he worked from 11pm to 7am 6 nights per week with Saturday evenings off Shortly after, Dahmer found his employment, an incident occurred in which he was uh, propositioned by another man uh, while sitting reading in the West Dallas Public Library. The stranger threw Dahmer a note offering to perform fellatio upon him. Although Dahmer did not respond to this proposition, the incident stirred in his mind the fantasies of control and dominance he had developed as a teenager, and he began to familiarize himself with Milwaukee's gay bars, gay bathhouses, and bookstores. He is also known to have stolen a male mannequin from a store which he briefly used for sexual stimulation until his grandmother discovered the item stowed in a closet and demanded that he discarded it. By late 1985, Dahmer had begun to uh, regularly frequently frequent the bathhouses 
which he later described as being relaxing places, but during his sexual encounters, he became frustrated at his partner's at his partners moving during the act. Following his arrest, he stated, I trained myself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of as people. For this reason, beginning in June 1986, he administrated uh, sleeping pills to his partners, giving them liquor laced with sedatives. He then waited for his partner to fall asleep before performing various sexual acts. To maintain an ad uh, adequate supply of this medication, Dahmer informed doctors he worked nights and required the tablets to adjust his body to work on sociable hours. After approximately 12 such instances, the bathhouse's administration revoked Dahmer's membership, and he began to use hotel rooms to continue his practice. Shortly after this membership uh, of the bathhouses was revoked, Dahmer read a report in a newspaper regarding the upcoming funeral of an 18-year-old male. He conceived the idea of stealing the freshly interred corpse and taking it home. According to Dahmer, he attempted to dig up the coffin from the ground, but uh, found the soil too hard and abandoned the plant. On September 8, 1986, Dahmer was arrested upon a charge of lewd and lascivious behavior for masturbating in the presence of two 12-year-old boys as he stood close to the, holy crap, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Kniknik River? Oh. That's right. Okay. He initially claimed he had merely been urinating, unaware that there were witnesses, but soon admitted the offense. The charge was changed to disorderly conduct, and on March 10, 1987, Dahmer was sentenced to one-year probation with additional instructions he was to undergo counseling. He's getting away with a lot of shit, almost. Right? Yeah. On November 20, 1987, Dahmer, at the time, residing with his grandmother in West Dallas, encountered a 25-year-old man from Antonagon, I don't whatever, Michigan, Stephen Tumai, at a bar and persuaded him to return to the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee where Dahmer had rented a room for the evening. According to Dahmer, he had no intention of murdering Tamai, but rather intended to simply drug him and lie beside him as he explored his body. The following morning, however, Dahmer awoke to find Tamai lying beneath him on the bed, his chest crushed in in black and blue with bruises. Blood was also seeping uh, from the corner of his mouth, and Dahmer's fists and one forearm were extensively bruised. Dahmer stated that he had no memory of having killed Tumai, and later informed investigators that he could not believe this had happened. To dispose of Tumai's body, Dahmer purchased a large suitcase in which he transported the body to his grandmother's residence. There, one week later, he severed the head, arms, and legs from the torso, then uh, filleted the bones from the body before cutting the flesh into pieces small enough to handle. Dahmer then placed the flesh inside plastic garba garbage bags, wrapped the bones inside a sheet, and pounded them into splinters with a sledgehammer. The entire dismemberment process took Dahmer approximately two hours to complete. He disposed of all Tumai's remains, excluding the severed head in the trash. For a total of two weeks following Tumai's murder, Dahmer retained the victim's head wrapped in, blanket, in a blanket. After two weeks, Dahmer boiled the head in a mixture of Sorlex, an alkali-based industry detergent, and bleach in an effort to retain the skull, which he then used as a stimulus for masturbation. Eventually, Eventually, the skull was rendered too brittle by this bleaching process, so Dahmer pulverized and disposed of it. Fucking using it. That was at his grandma's house. How did she not smell him cooking heads? She's <laughs> probably dead, too. I'm just saying, like, I feel like he said, he said the head was just there for two weeks, and then he boiled it and this stuff. Like, I feel like that would give off some kind of odor. I mean, if Nobody you freeze knows. it, it's not going to... I'm assuming you froze it. Still. She's, like, going into a freezer and looking for... Her green oh, beans, I have a, I have a and then she ball. just finds a head in there. Like, does she not go in her freezer? Usually, old ladies like look in their freezers for like. 
fudgesicles and stuff. Like <laughs> Fucking fudgesicles. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Oh God. Something's fishy there. I don't know. I don't know. Grandma was in on it. <laughs> March 24th, 1988, Dahmer met a 22-year-old bisexual man named Richard Guerrero outside a gay bar called The Phoenix. Dahmer lured Guerrero to his grandmother's residence, although the incentive on this occasion was $50 to simply spend the remainder of the night with him. He then drugged Guerrero with sleeping pills and strangled him with a leather strap, with Dahmer then performing oral sex upon the corpse. Dahmer dismembered Guerrero's body within 24 hours of murdering him, again disposing of the remains in the trash and retaining the skull before pulverizing it several months later. Him and skulls, Jesus Christ. On April 23rd, Dahmer lured another young man to his house. However, after giving the victim a drug coffee, both he and the intended victim heard Dahmer's grandmother call. Is that you, Jeff? Although Dahmer replied in a manner that led his grandmother to believe he was alone, she did observe that Dahmer was not alone. Because of this, Dahmer opted not to kill this particular victim, instead waiting on... Uh, where the fuck am I looking? Waiting until he had become unconscious before taking him to the county general hospital. In September 1988, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out, largely because of his drinking. His habit of bringing young men to her house late at night and the foul smells occasionally manting from both the basement and the garage. Dahmer found a one-bedroom apartment at 808 North 24th Street and moved into the, his new residence on September 25th. Two days later, he was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy from who he had lured to his home on the pretext of posing nude for photographs. Dahmer's father hired an attorney named Gerald Boyle to defend his son. At Boyle's request, Dahmer underwent a series of psychological evaluations Excuse me. prior to his upcoming court hearings. These evaluations revealed Dahmer harbored deep feelings of alienation. A second evaluation two months later revealed Dahmer to be an impulsive individual, suspicious of others, and dismayed by his lack of accomplishments in life. His probation officer would also reference a 1987 diagnosis of Dahmer suffering from a scheduled, scheduled personality disorder for, uh, for pres presentation to the court. January 30th, 1989, Dahmer pleaded guilty to the charges of second-degree sexual assault and of enticing a child for immoral purposes. Senten sentencing for the assault was, supposed, uh, was suspended until May. On March 20th, Dahmer uh, commenced a 10-day Easter absence from work during which he moved back into his grandmother's home. Two months after conviction and two What's months... What's going to happen next? I don't know. He, he like, like, she kicked him out. So now he's moving back into the place that he did these things. What do you think is going to happen next? He's going to do some more things. My question is, did the grandmother actually find out about the other shit after he moved? Like, I get it. He, like, probably got rid of most of it, but, like, there's some shit he kind of left there. Or did she know the whole time? That, too. Did she just loved him? Was, didn't they say, like, that was... The only person he like got along with, yeah. Grandma. So maybe they had like this special bond, and she just was in on it. It's a possibility. Um, where were you at, Picker? Two months after his conviction, and two months prior to his sentencing for the sexual assault, Dahmer murdered his fifth victim, a mixed-race 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears, who Dahmer met at a gay bar on March 25th, 1989. According it's my to birthday. There Sorry. you go. I'm just kidding. According to Dahmer on this particular occasion, he's not looking to commit a crime. However, shortly before closing time that evening, Sears just started uh, talking to me. Dahmer lured Sears to his grandmother's home, of course, where the, where the pair engaged in oral sex before Dahmer drugged and strangled Sears. The following morning, Dahmer placed the corpse in his grandmother's bathtub where he decapitated the body before attempting to flay the corpse. 
So, was the grandmother not hearing any of this? Right. I don't know. That's suspicious. My grandma would enjoy being in her bathtub. I really thought you were going to say something else there <laughs> for a second, right. like your grandmother enjoys killing people? Mm-mm. I don't. My grandma's nosy. I would not be able to get away with all that in her house. My mom would come over to my grandma's house and be like, what's happening over here? <laughs> He then stripped the flesh from the body and pulverized the bones, which he began, uh, he, which he again disposed of in the trash. According to Dahmer, he found Sears exceptionally attractive, and Sears was the first victim from whom he permanently retained any body parts. He preserved Sears' head and genitalia in H-Tone and stored them in a wooden box, which he later placed in his work locker when he moved to a new, ad- uh, new address. The following year, he took the remains there and... May 14, 1990, Dahmer moved out of his grandmother's house and into 1924, or 1924, 924 North 25th Street, Apartment 213, taking Sears' uh, mummified head and genitalia with him. Within one week of moving to his new apartment, Dahmer had killed his sixth victim, Raymond Smith. Smith was a 32-year-old male prostitute from Dom, uh, whom Dahmer lured in, into his apartment 213, with the promise of $50 for sex inside the apartment, he gave Smith a drink laced with seven sleeping pills, then manually strangled him. Seven Did seven. he need to strangle him at that point? No, he's just doing it all the time. He's making sure they're dead. Because he's killing them. He strangled him then to kill him, and then fu- has <laughs> intercourse. I was going to say fucking, but either way it works. There's, this is definitely not for children. Um... The following day, Dahmer purchased a Polaroid camera in which he took several pictures of Smith's body in suggestive positions uh, before dismembering him in the bathroom. He boiled the legs, arms, and pelvis in a steel kettle with Soliex, uh, which allowed him to then rinse the bones in his sink. Dahmer dissolved the remainder of Smith's skeleton, excluding the skull, in a container filled with acid. He later spray-painted Smith's skull, which he placed alongside the skull of Sears, uh, upon a black towel inside a metal filing cabinet. Approximately one week after the murder of Smith, on uh, on or about May 27th, Dahmer lured another young man into his apartment. On this occasion, however, Dahmer himself actually consumed the drink laden with sedatives intended for consumption by his guests. When he awoke the following day, he discovered his intended victim had stolen several items of his clothing, $300, and a watch. Dahmer never reported this incident to the police, although on May 29th he divulged uh, to his probation officer that he had been robbed. In June 1990, Dahmer lured a 27-year-old acquaintance named Edward Smith to his apartment. He drugged this... Did I say this one already? No. Okay. There's so many Smiths. Money. Um, what? Wait, so at this point, they still haven't put him in prison yet? Or put him in some sort of asylum uh, or something? Uh, oh, I'm pretty no, sure he didn't kill anybody stuff. else after someone found out. No, he did. But I don't think he got arrested for the murder. I think he got arrested for the decent exposures. Well, yeah, he got arrested for stuff after he had already murdered. Could you imagine being a murderer, sitting in jail on something like that, and knowing that you got away with that Yeah, at that point? Pretty much. <laughs> like, you're like, I just murdered these people, but nobody knows. Right. Um, I got confused with how many Smiths are in this damn people thing he car- uh, killed. In June 1990, Dahmer lured a 27-year-old acquaintance named Edward Smith to his apartment. Uh, he drugged and strangled Smith on this occasion. Rather than immediately acidifying the skeleton or repeating previous processes of bleaching, which he had rendered previous victim skulls brittle, Dahmer placed Smith's skeleton in his freezer for several months in the hope that he would not retain moisture. Freezing the skeleton did not remove moisture, and the skeleton of the victim would be acidified, 
Several months later, Dahmer accidentally destroyed the skull when he placed it in the oven to dry, a process that caused the skull to explode. Dahmer himself was late was to later inform the uh, police he had felt rotten with Smith's murder as he had been unable to retain any parts of the body. Less than three months after the murder of Smith, Dahmer encountered a 22-year-old Chicago native named Ernest Miller outside a bookstore on the corner of North 27th Street. Miller agreed to accompany Dahmer to his apartment for 50 bucks and uh, further agreed to allow him to listen to his heart and stomach. When Dahmer attempted to perform oral sex upon Miller, he was informed that it'll cost you extra, whereupon Dahmer gave his intended victim a drink laced with two sleeping pills. On this occasion, Dahmer had only two sleeping pills to give this victim, therefore he killed Miller by slashing his uh, corduroy artery with the same knife he used to dis uh, dissect the victims, his victim's bodies. Miller bled uh, to death within minutes. Dahmer then posed new, the nude body for Ferris suggested Polar photographs before placing it in his bathtub for dismemberment. Dahmer repeatedly kissed and talked to the several, severed head while he dismembered the remainder of the body. Dahmer wrapped Miller's heart, biceps, and portions of flesh from the legs in uh, plastic bags and then placed them in the fridge for later consumption. He boiled the remaining flesh and organs into a jelly-like substance using Sorlix again, which again enabled him to rinse the flesh off the skeleton which he intended to retain. To preserve the skeleton, Dahmer placed the bones in a light bleach solution for 24 hours before allowing them to dry upon a cloth for one week. The severed head was initially placed in the refrigerator before also being stripped of flesh, then painted and coated with uh, enamel. enamel. Oh, jeez. Sounds like a human hunter. A head hunter? Like hunting for sport, but actually cannibalism and sexual intercourse? Or fantasies, I guess? Isn't not really a fantasy, but no, I think he really did it. I don't think he was just fantasizing about it. He could be too. You never know. He's fucking talking to a fucking severed head. Who knows what was going on, dude? <laughs> In February 1991, Dahmer observed a 17-year-old named Curtis Strotter standing at a bus stop near Marquette University. According to Dahmer, he lured Strotter to into his apartment with an offer of money for posing for nude photos, with the added incentive of sexual intercourse. Dahmer drugged Strotter, coughed his hands behind his back, and then strangled him to death with a leather strap. He then dismembered Strotter, retaining the youth's skull, hands, and genitals, and photograph uh, photographing each stage of the dismemberment process. Less than two months later, on April 7th, Dahmer encountered a 19-year-old man named Errol Lindsay walking to get a key cut. Lindsay was heterosexual. Dahmer lured Lindsay into his apartment where he drugged him, drilled a hole into his skull, and poured hydro hydro I cannot talk anymore, hydrochloric acid into it. According to Dahmer, Lindsay awoke after his uh, this experiment, which Dahmer had conceived in the hope of in, uh, inducing a permanent, unresistant, sub submissive state, saying, I have a headache. What time is it? In response to this, Dahmer again drugged Lindsay, then strangled him. He decapitated Lindsay and retained his skull. He then flayed Lindsay's body, placing the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for se uh, several weeks in the hope of permanently retaining it. Reluctantly, he disposed of Lindsay's skin when he noted it had become too frayed and brittle. By 91, fellow residents of the Oxford Apartments had repeatedly complained to the building's manager, Sophia Princewell, of the foul smells emanating from apartment 213, in addition to the sounds of falling objects and the occasional sound of, of a chainsaw. Princewell did con contact Dahmer in response to these complaints on several occasions, although he initially excused the odors uh, emanating from his apartment as being caused by his freezer breaking, causing the contents to become spoiled, 
On later, technically they were spoiled. <laughs> on later occasions, he informed Principal that he uh, that the reason for the resurgence of the odor was that several tropical fish, fucking <laughs> shit, uh, had recently died, and that he would take care of the matter. Dang, Chris, what was that? Fucking viruses. Yeah, right. Part of it is cheeks. Only fans. <laughs> Four ninety nine. Chris Reeds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, on the afternoon, all right. This person's name I'm gonna definitely butcher right here. On the afternoon of May twenty six ninety one, Dahmer encountered a fourteen year old Wow teenager named Conorak Synthesimphone. I'm know. sure that's not what his name was. Whatever. <laughs> On Wisconsin Avenue, unknown to Dahmer, he was the younger brother of the boy who he had molested in 1988. He approached the youth with an offer of money to accompany him to his apartment to pose for a Polaroid pictures. According to Dahmer, uh, he was initially reluctant to the proposal before changing his mind and accompanying him to his apartment, where the youth posed for two pictures in his underwear before Dahmer drugged him into the unconsciousness and performed oral sex on him. On this occasion, Dahmer drilled a single hole into system. Sithmosphone's skull, through which he injected hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe. Before he, uh, fell, before he fell unconscious, Dahmer led the boy into his bedroom, where the boy of a th- body of a 31-year-old Tony Hughes, whom Dahmer had killed three days earlier, lay naked on the floor. According to Dahmer, he believed that he saw this body, yet did not react to seeing the bloated corpse, likely because of the effects of the sleeping pills he had ingested and the hydrochloric acid Dahmer had injected through the skull. He soon became unconscious, whereupon Dahmer drank several beers while lying alongside him uh, before leaving his apartment to drink at the bar, then purchase more alcohol. Chris. I didn't do it. Can you just pause it for a second? Alright, we have Sam has left us, so I don't know how we feel about that. But, anyways. Ooh. <laughs> I could have just done this. <laughs> Where did she go? Okay, alright, let's get back into... Uh, uh, Dahmer here. Um, that sounds weird. Let's get back into Dahmer. Uh, anyways, in the early morning hours of May 27th, the, uh, Dahmer returned toward his uh, apartment to discover... Uh, so, Jesus Christ, I can't pronounce this guy's name. Sithemus phone? I don't know. Uh, sitting naked on the corner of 25th and State, talking to Lau. Talking, talking in Lau with three distressed young women standing near him. Dahmer approached a woman and told them that he would be... Who he, whom he referred to by the alias of John Hmong, was his friend and attempted to lead him to his apartment by the arm. The three women dissuade, uh, dissuaded Dahmer, explaining they had the phone 911. Upon the arrival of two Milwaukee police officers, John Balsarek and Joseph Gabrish, Dahmer's demeanor relaxed. He, he told the officers that he uh, the was his 19-year-old boyfriend, that he had drunk too much following a quarrel, and that he frequently behaved in this manner within, when intoxicated. Dahmer added his lover had consumed Jack Daniel's whiskey that evening. The three women were exasperated, and when one of the trio attempted to indicate to one of the officers, both of whom had observed no injuries beyond a scrape to Simpson's knee and believed him to be intoxicated, that Simpson's knee had blood upon his testicles, was bleeding from his rectum, and that he had seemingly struggled against Dahmer's attempts to walk him to his apartment prior to their arrival. The officer harshly informed her to butt out, Shut the hell up and not to interfere. Okay. <laughs> so the cop just said, 
pretty much fuck you. Uh, shortly after the arrival of the Milwaukee police officers, three members of the Milwaukee Fire Department arrived at the scene. These individuals also examined Simpson's phone for injuries and provided a yellow blanket for the police officers to cover Simpson's phone. One of the three believed he needed treatment, but then the police officers directed the fire department personnel to leave. Shortly thereafter, Officer Richard Porbrucan uh, arrived at the scene. He and Gabbard followed Balzarek and escorted Dahmer and Simpson to Dahmer's apartment as Dahmer repeatedly com- commented on the general crime in the neighborhood and his, of his appreciation of the police. Fucking backhanded shit. He's appreciating the police and he's the one committing the crimes and shit. Inside his apartment and in an effort to verify his claim that he had, uh, he and uh, Simpson were lovers, Dahmer showed the officers the two semi-nude Polaroid pictures he had taken to the uh, of the youth the previous evening. Though Balsarek said he smelled nothing unusual, Ga- uh, Gavers later stated he noted a strange scent reminiscent of ex- excrement inside the apartment. This odor uh, emanated from the decomposing body of Hughes. Dahmer stated that to investigate this odor, one officer simply peeked his head around the bedroom but really didn't take a good look. The officers then left with a a departing remark that Dahmer take good care of Simmons' phone. This incident was listed by the officers as a domestic dispute. Uh, (coughs) Upon the departure of the three officers from this apartment, Dahmer Dahmer again injected hydrochloric acid into Simmons' brain. On the second occasion, the injection... uh, proved fatal. The following day, May 28th, Dahmer took a day's leave from work to devote himself to the dismemberment of the bodies of Simpson and Hughes. He retained both victims' skulls. On June 30th, Dahmer traveled to Chicago, where he encountered a 20-year-old named Matt Turner at a bus station. Turner accepted Dahmer's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot. At the apartment, Dahmer drugged and strangled and dismembered Turner and placed his head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer. Turner was not reported missing. Five days later, on July 5th, Dahmer lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment of the promise of spending the weekend with him. He drugged Weinberger and twice injected boiling water through his skull, sending him into a coma from which he died two days later. On July 15th, Dahmer encountered 24-year-old Oliver Lacey at the corner of 27th and Kilbourne. Lacey agreed to Dahmer's ruse of posing nude for, uh, for photographs and accompanied him to his apartment, where the pair engaged in intensive sexual activity before Dahmer drugged Lacey. On this occasion, Dahmer intended to prolong the time he spent with Lacey while he uh, uh, while alive. After unsuccessfully attempting to render Lacey unconscious with chloroform, he phoned his workplace to request a day's absence. This was granted, although the next day he was suspended. After strangling Lacey, Dahmer had sex with the corpse before dismembering him. Fucking a, I love, not love. He has to freaking have sex with them when they're unconscious and not able to do anything. Um, apparently that's the only way he, he, I don't know if he can get off, I guess, stated it before. Um, he placed Lacey's head and heart in the refrigerator and a skeleton in the freezer. Four days later, on July 19th, Dahmer received word that he was fired. Upon receipt of this news, Dahmer lured 25-year-old Joseph Bradoff to his apartment. Bradoff was strangled and left lying on Dahmer's bed covered with a sheet of, sheet for two days. On July 21st, Dahmer moved these sheets to find the head covered in maggots, whereupon he decapitated the body cleaned the head, and placed it in the refrigerator. He later acidified Bradhoff's torso along with those of two other victims killed within the previous month. On July 22, 1981, Dahmer approached three men with an offer of $100 to accompany him to his apartment to post for nude photographs, drink beer, and still keep him company. One of the trio, 32-year-old Tracy Edwards, agreed to accompany him 
to his apartment. Upon entering Dahmer's apartment, Edwards noted uh, a foul odor and several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor, which Dahmer claimed to use for cleaning bricks. After some minor con uh, conversation, Edwards responded to Dahmer's request to turn his head and view his tropical fish, whereupon Dahmer placed a handcuff upon his wrist when Edwards asked what's happening. Dahmer unsuccessfully unsex attempted to cuff his wrist together, then told Edwards to accompany him to the bedroom to pose for nude pictures. While inside the bedroom, Edwards noted male posters on the wall and then that a videotape of The Exorcist 3 was playing. He also noted a blue 57-gallon drum in the corner from which strong odor emanated. Who the fuck just keeps a 57-gallon drum in your house? Good. It's just starting to sound very demonic. <laughs> like satanic or... Not what? even. Like, what do you mean by demonic? Like, it sounds like some sort of spirit was, like, in control of him and he had no ability to withdraw himself from his desire to do that anymore. And just keep doing it? He... It sounds like that's how he existed to cope with his life. Makes sense. And the every previous one that he did, he was coping with that one, with the next one. With the next one. And, and just kept going. But they, he couldn't, like, find peace. I guess. But I think that when he was in prison, I think that he, like, found peace and like came to Jesus or something dude I can't remember what happened but because I think he got killed in prison right yeah but I think he he attained peace before he had died Dahmer uh, then brandished a knife and informed Edwards he intended to take nude pictures of him in an attempt to appease uh, Dahmer Edwards unbuttoned his shirt saying he would allow him to do so if he would move the handcuffs and put the knife away in response to this promise, Dahmer simply turned his attention towards the TV. Edwards observed Dahmer rocking back and forth and chanting before turning his attention back to him. He placed his head on Edwards' chest, listened to his heartbeat, and then with a the knife pressed against his intended victim, informed Edwards he intended to eat his heart. Straightforward now, just telling him he's going to eat his heart. In um, conscious uh, attempts to, uh, oh, sorry, in continuous attempts, uh, to prevent Dahmer from attacking him, Edwards repeated that he was Dahmer's friend and that he was not going to run away. Edwards had decided he was going to either jump from a window or run through the unlocked uh, front door upon the next available opportunity. When Edwards next stated he needed to use the bathroom, he asked if they could sit with a beer in the living room, where was the air, uh, where there was an air conditioning. Uh, Dahmer consented, and then pair, the pair walked to the living room when Edwards exited the bathroom. Inside the living room, Edwards waited until he observed Dahmer having a momentary lapse of concentration before requesting to use the bathroom again. When Edwards rose from the couch, he noted Dahmer was holding the handcuffs, whereupon Edwards punched him in the face, knocking Dahmer off balance and ran out the front door. You saying about how it could be demonic and then, like, pretty much taking over and he has, like, no control over that, that right there kind of seemed like it. Because of him, like, taking a moment to not even realize what's going on and then go back to what he's doing, kind of make it sound like someone else was in control and it wasn't him. To an extent. I think it's of a non-understandable force. Because otherwise people would have been like, oh, this is why he did it? Did he say why he did these things? Sexual purposes, pretty much. That's what he claimed? That that's I believe so. Was? From, what I've, uh, from what I've read, there's no other explanation 
besides the fact that he, at one point, he couldn't um, have sexual relations unless they were unconscious. So was it, does that make him a sadist or a masochist? I have no idea. Because one derives pleasure from hurting another person, and one derives pleasure from hurting themselves. It's not one or the other. So it would be pleasure from hurting someone else, because he's not hurting himself. But then also the fact that they can't be, I guess they can't be moving around for him to get pleasure. So it's not like he's... He's probably super scared and he is just like very focused on things that are dead. Right, especially with the beginning of him trying to like bleach and preserve animal bones and roadkill. And then he moved on to people. Then it just sounds like he just turns people into like dirt or like material. What well, way for him trying to like preserve their bodies? Yeah. Oh well, yeah, at the end because I think he, I think is he making like a flashlight out of it or something? <laughs> I, mean, I don't understand. No, I think he's just keeping those as like uh, he'll eat the flesh. I'm a, uh, I believe, but then from preserving the skulls, I think he's doing it as. Um, not a memorial, but like of memories, like how people have pic- uh, pictures of family, that's his pictures of family type of thing. Like people like put shit on their walls to remember shit. I think he does the skull stuff to remember those. Or Because there was the only two that he originally kept, because one of them he felt like he loved, but then killed them anyways. Do you, are these the key people that you killed, Chris? Hell yeah, all these Funko Pops. You put their brains inside the Funko Pop, and then you sell them online, and people cut it open. There's a brain inside, and then they put it in their microwave and eat it. Yeah, you don't do like that. Like a McDonald's. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Jesus Christ! If we find out that that happens, it's going to be on the podcast. It is. <laughs> It'll forever be remembered. At 11:30 p.m. on July 22nd. Second. Edward flagged down two Milwaukee police officers, Robert Routh and Rolf uh, Mueller, or Rolf Mueller, at the corner of North 25th Street. The officers noted Edwards had a handcuff attached to his wrist, whereupon he explained to the officers that a freak had placed the handcuffs upon him and asked if the police could remove them. When the officers' handcuff keys failed to fit the brand of handcuffs, Edwards agreed to accompany the officers to the apartment where Edwards stayed. Or stated. Uh, he has had spent the previous five hours before escaping. When the officers and Edwards arrived at apartment 213, Dahmer invited the trio inside and acknowledged he had indeed placed the handcuffs upon Edwards, although he offered no explanation as to why he had done so. At this point, Edwards divulged to the officers that Dahmer had also bra- uh, brandished a large knife upon him and that had, uh, this had happened in the bedroom. Dahmer made no commit- comment to this revelation, indicating to one of the officers, Mueller, that the key to the handcuffs was in- uh, inside or in his bedside dresser. dresser. As Mueller entered the bedroom, Dahmer attempted to pass Mueller to himself to retrieve the key, whereupon the second officer present, Ralph, informed him to back off. In the bedroom, Mueller noted that uh, there was indeed uh, a large knife beneath the bed. He also saw an open drawer, which, upon uh, closer inspection, contained scores of Polaroid pictures, many of which were of human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. Mueller noted the decor indicated that uh, they had been taken in very uh, in the very apartment in which they were standing. Mueller walked into the living room to show them to his partner, uttering the words, These are for real. 
When Dahmer saw that Mueller was holding several of his Polaroids, his, he fought with the officers in an effort to resist arrest. The officers quickly overpowered him, cuffed his hands behind his back, and called a second squad car for backup. At this point, Mueller opened the refrigerator and revealed the freshly severed head of a black male on the bottom shelf. As Dahmer J uh, lay pinned on the floor beneath uh, Ralph, he turned to his head towards the officers and muttered the words, For what I did, I should be dead. So, he's admitting that what he's done was a terrible thing in that sentence right there. For what I did, I should be dead. So he knows it's wrong. Well, if he was treated the way that he treated other people, it would not be good for him because he would be dismembered and like his toes would be like ripped off and then his foot would be ripped off. You know, it would be. Oh bad. yeah, but then he was doing it to everybody else. He probably wasn't thinking it was going to happen to him. I mean, it didn't happen to him, but uh, a more detailed search of the apartment conducted by the Milwaukee Police's uh, Criminal Investigation Bureau revealed a total of four severed heads in Dahmer's kitchen. Where the hell would you keep all those? A total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in Dahmer's bedroom and inside a closet. In addition, investigators discovered blood drippings upon a tray at the bottom of a Dahmer's refrigerator, plus two human hearts and a portion of arm uh, muscle, each wrapped inside plastic bags upon the shelves. In Dahmer's freezer, investigators discovered an entire torso, plus a bag of human organs and flesh stuck to the ice at the bottom. Elsewhere, in apartment 213, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp. I don't know why I laughed right there. And Were in they the like pickled or something? Uh, something. Salted. <laughs> Snail. And in the 57-gallon drum, three further dismembered torsos dissolving the acid solution. A total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing dismemberment of Dahmer's victims were found. In reference to the recovery of body parts and artifacts, at 924 North 25th Street. The chief medical examiner later stated it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene. It sounds more disgusting than a crime scene. Uh, beginning in the early hours of July 23, 1991, Dahmer was questioned by Detective Patrick Kennedy as to the murders he had committed and the evidence found at his apartment. Over the following two weeks, Kennedy and later Detective Dennis Murphy conducted numerous interviews with Dahmer which, when combined, total over 60 hours. Dahmer waived his right to have a lawyer present throughout inter uh, interrogations, adding he wished to confess all as he had created this horror and only makes sense I do everything to put an end to it. He readily admitted to having murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987, with one further victim, Stephen Hicks, killed in Ohio back in 1978. So he went without lawyers present, and conf wanted to confess everything. And then he pretty much just gave up right there. He's, he knew he was not going back. Uh, there's no turnaround for him. He was not getting out of this. Like all those other shit he did with the decent exposure and whatever, suspension, all that type of stuff. Most of Dahmer's victims had been rendered unconscious prior to their murder. Although some had died as a result of having acid or boiling water injected into their brain as he had no memory of the murder... Of his second victim, Stephen Tumai, he was unsure whether he was unconscious when beaten to death. Although he did not concede, it was possible that his viewing the exposed chest of Tumai while in a drunken stupor may have led to successfully attempt to tear, uh, tear Tumai's heart from his chest. Almost all the murders Dahmer committed after moving into the Oxford apartments had involved a ritual opposing the victim's bodies in suggested positions, typically with the chest thrust outwards 
prior to dismemberment. Dahmer readily admitted to engaging in necrophilia with several of his victims' bodies, including performing sexual acts with their uh, with their uh, viscera as he dismembered their bodies in his bathtub. Having noted that much of the blood pooled inside the victim's chest after death, Dahmer first removed their internal organs, then suspended the torso so the blood drained into his bathtub before dicing any organs. He did not wish to retain and paring the flesh from the body. The bones he wished to dispose of were pulverized of uh, acidified or acidified with solex and bleach solutions used to aid the preservation of the skeletons and skulls he wished to keep. In addition, Dahmer confessed to have consumed the hearts, livers, biceps, and portions of thighs and of several victims he had killed within the previous year, often tenderizing the flesh and organs prior to consuming them in meals flavored with various condiments. You know what the liver part reminded me of? Fucking Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, I thought was the brain. Oh, I always remember him that one scene where he like he would prepare his liver with fava beans. <laughs> and whatever, I forgot he said he paired it also with like a drink or whatever, some wine, I think. I think I only saw that movie when I was a child. I've seen it once and I don't remember. <laughs> I gotta watch it again. Um, describing the increase of his rate of killing in the two months prior to his arrest, Dahmer stated he had been completely swept along with this compulsion to kill, adding, it was an incessant incessant, and never-ending desire to be with someone at whatever cost. Someone good-looking, really nice-looking, it just filled my thoughts all day long. Right there was stating that he would do anything to be with a person, pretty much, and killing them was the part that he wanted. In that sentence, like about like how he would do anything to do it. Um, when asked as to why he had preserved a total of seven skulls and the entire skeletons of two victims, Dahmer stated he had been in the process of constructing a private altar of victims, skulls which he had intended to display on the black table located in his living room and upon which he had photographed the bodies of many of his victims. So he's going to make a dis- uh, an altar of all the skulls on that table. This display of skulls was to be adorned at each side with the complete skeletons of Miller and Lacey. The four severed heads found in his kitchen were to be removed of all flesh and used in this altar, as was the skull of a last one future victim. Incense sticks were to be placed at each end of the black table, above which Dahmer intended to place a large blue lamp with extending blue globe lights. The entire construction was to be placed before a window covered with a black opaque shower curtain in front of which Dahmer intended to sit in in a black leather chair. When asked in a November 1891 interview from uh, whom the altar was dedicated to Dahmer replied myself it was a place where I could feel at home he further described his intended altar as a place of for meditation from where he believed he could draw a sense of power adding if his arrest had happened six months later that's why they would have that's what they would have found in July 25th 91 Dahmer was charged with four counts of first-degree murder by August 22nd he had been charged with a further 11 murders committed in Wisconsin. On September 14th, investigators in Ohio, having uncovered hundreds of bone fragments in woodland behind the address in which Dahmer had confessed to killing his first victim, formally identified two molars and a ver- uh, vertebra with x-ray records of Hicks. Three days later, Dahmer was charged with by authorities in Ohio with Hicks' murder. Dahmer was not charged with the attempted murder of Edwards, nor with the murder of Tumai. He was not charged with Tumai's murder because of the Milwaukee County District Attorney only brought charges were 
murder could be proven behind a reasonable doubt and Dahmer had no memory of actually committing this particular murder, which no physical evidence of the crime existed. At a scheduled pre preliminary hearing on January 13th, 92, Dahmer pleaded guilty but insane to 15 counts of murder. So he still pleaded guilty but insane. Yet he wasn't tried as insane. Uh, Dahmer's trial began on January 30th, 92. I think that would be the best choice for him. If that he didn't wasn't tried as insane, because that, no. that like that's the other thing. Like you could plead guilty but insane, and that they, I believe he, most people, I believe that when they plead insane or insanity, they're trying not to go to prison, and go to, um, a hospital or a sane not a sane asylum, but whatever. Um, I bet you the treatment there was worse. It probably is, depending on where, especially depending on where you're going, and you know why you're fucking there. Uh, he was tried in Milwaukee for the 15 counts of first-degree murder before Judge Lawrence Graham by pleading guilty on January 13th to the charges brought against him. Dahmer had waived his rights to an initial trial to establish guilt as defined in Wisconsin law. The issue de debated by opposing counsels at Dahmer's trial was to determine whether he suffered from either a mental or, or a personality disorder. The prosecution claimed that any disorder uh, or Jude, I, whatever, that Dahmer has insane, was insane due to his necrophilia drive necrophilic drive, his uh, compulsion to have sexual encounters with corpses. Defense expert Dr. Fred Berlin testified that Dahmer was unable to conform to uh, his conduct at the time that he committed the crimes due to his par uh, paraphilia or more specifically necrophilia. Dr. Judith Becker, a professor, a professor of psychiatry and psychology, was a second expert witness for the defense. Becker also diagnosed Dahmer as a necrophiliac, although she added Dahmer had informed her prefer he preferred comatose sexual partners to deceased ones 75% of the time. The, the final defense expert to testify, forensic uh, psychiatrist Dr. Carl Wallstrom, diagnosed Dahmer with necrophilia, borderline personality disorder, schizopedal, I cannot pronounce that, schizopite, whatever, personality disorder, alcohol dependence, and a psychotic disorder. On February 8th, Dr. Fred uh, Fossil testified on behalf of the prosecution. Fossil testified to his belief that Dahmer was without mental disease or defect at the time he committed the murders. He described Dahmer as a calculating and cunning individual able to de uh, differ I cannot pronounce anymore. <laughs> Different, differentiate more, oh my god. Between differentiate. Thank you. Between right and wrong <laughs> with the ability, Jesus Christ. You probably said like 10,000 words so far, dude. Uh, I don't fucking know anymore. Ability to control his actions and whose loss, uh, lust overpowered his morals. Although Fosdell did state his belief that Dahmer was a par uh, paraphilic, his conclusion was that Dahmer was not a sadist. That's There we go. Back to before, when we're talking about sadists and masochists. He uh, wasn't? How? Fuck. We had not a clue. I wonder if we can look into uh, any of their reports or anything for that. The second and final witness to appear for the prosecution, forensic psychiatrist Park Dietz, uh, Dietz or whatever, began his testimony on February 12th. Dietz testified that he did not believe Dahmer had any form of mental disease or defect at the time that he committed the crime, stating Dahmer went to great lengths to be alone with his victim and have and to have no witnesses. He explained that there was a, ample evidence that Dahmer prepared in advance for each murder. Therefore, his crimes were not impulsive. Although Dietz did concede any acquisition of a paraphilia was not a matter of personal choice. He also stated his belief that Dahmer's ha excuse me, habit of becoming intoxicated prior to committing 
each of the murders was significant, stating if he had an impulse to kill or a compulsion to kill, he wouldn't have to drink alcohol to overcome it. He only has to drink alcohol to overcome it because he is inhibited against killing. I guess to a point with alcohol. Um, Diets also noted that Dahmer strongly identified with the villains of The Exorcist 3 and, hilariously, Return of the Jedi. Particularly the level of power held by these characters, expounding on the significance of these movies on Dahmer's psyche and many of the murders committed at the Oxford Departments. Diets explained that Dahmer occasionally viewed scenes from these films before searching for a victim. Diets diagnosed Dahmer with substance use uh, disorder, paraphilia, and schizopal personality disorder. Return of the fucking child. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, this is where we're getting sued. No. Um, two court-appointed uh, mental health professionals testifying independently of either prosecution or defense were forensic psychiatrist George Palermo and clinical psychologist Samuel Friedman. Palermo, I wonder if that's the same people that make the pizza. Palermo stated that the murders were the result of a pent-up aggression against himself, uh, or with himself, sorry. He killed those men uh, because he wanted to kill the source of his homosexual attraction to them. In killing them, he killed what he hated in himself. Palermo concluded that Dahmer had a severe mixed personality disorder with antisocial, obsessive, compulsive, sadistic, uh, fetishistic, borderline, and necrophilic features, but otherwise legally sane. Friedman testified that it was a longing for a companionship that caused Dahmer to kill. He stated, Mr. Dahmer is not psychotic. He spoke kindly of Dahmer, describing him as amiable, pleasant to be with, uh, courteous, with a sense of humor, conventionally handsome, and charming in manner. He was and still is a bright young man. He diagnosed Dahmer with a personality disorder not otherwise specific, uh, specified, featuring borderline obsessive compulsive and sadistic traits. The trial lasted two weeks. On February 14th, both counsels delivered their closing argument to the jury. Each counsel was allowed to uh, speak for two hours. Defense attorney Gerald Boyle argued first, repeatedly uh, harking to the testimony of the mental health professionals, almost all of whom had agreed Dahmer was afflicted afflicted with a uh, mental disease. Boyle argued that Dahmer's compulsive killings had been a result of a sickness he discovered, not chose. Boyle portrayed Dahmer as a desperately lonely and profoundly sick individual, so out of control he could not conform his conduct anymore. Following defense counsel's 75-minute closing argument, Michael McCann delivered his closing argument for the prosecution, describing Dahmer as a sane man in full control of his actions who simply strove to avoid detection. McCann described Dahmer as a calculated individual who killed to control his victims and retain their bodies, merely to afford uh, afford himself a prolonged period of sexual pleasure. McCain argued that by pleading guilty but insane to the charges, Dahmer was seeking to escape responsibility for his crimes. That's what I'm talking about pleading guilty but insane. You're sort of escaping responsibility for your crimes, but you're still probably be ended up in a men- uh, mental facility. That doesn't make any sense. If he pleads guilty, that's See, it's the insane part. It's the insane part. You're pleading guilty but insane. Right. Because he's not pleading not guilty. If it was not, if he was pleading not guilty, he wouldn't be claiming that he's insane. Because then he would be like mixing the fact that he's not guilty but somehow still did it. Well, the thing is, he was insane. Was he? <laughs> this is what insane people do. 
<laughs> no fucking shit. Differentiate between who's insane and who's not insane based on what they did. That's yeah, true, but would you, as a jury or a member of that jury, I think they were just being a dick because they're pissed. Well, would you still put him in an insane ultimate. hospital, or would you put him in a prison for life? Um, well, in prison, he might get killed. True, but in the same it? hospital, he'll be there, and the taxpayers will be paying the right. food. So they probably wanted him. The jury saw that this guy doesn't need to go to a fucking hospital. He just needs to stop. They think that he couldn't get. He couldn't change. On February fifteenth, the court uh, reconvened. To hear the verdict, Dahmer was ruled to be sane and not suffering from any uh, mental disorder at the time of each of the 15 murders for which he was tried, although in each count, two of the 12 jurors signified uh, their dissent. So, they're saying, even though he's pleading guilty but insane, he they're saying he wasn't with any, he didn't have technically any mental disorders at the time of the murders. How would they know? He was very isolated. Did he report that then? No, probably not. No, he's reporting this now when he got fucking arrested and for the actual crime. Yeah, he's probably way more insane later on. Right. I think he is insane. I think he got more insane definitely later on because he was uh, clearly murdering more and more within a shorter time frame than what he did before. He's, he was going like every couple of weeks or whatever, and then he was like almost every couple of days. Um, formal sentencing was postponed until February 17th. On this date, Dahmer's attorney announced his client wished to address the court. Dahmer then approached the lectern and read from a statement prepared by himself and his defense as he faced the judge. In the statement, Dahmer emphasized that he had never desired freedom following his arrest and that he frankly wished for his own death. He further stressed that none of his murders uh, had been motivated by hatred, that he understood that nothing he either said or did could undo the terrible harm he had caused to the families of his victims in the city of Milwaukee, and that he had he and his doctors believed that his criminal behavior had been motivated by mental disorders. Dahmer added that the medical knowledge that had given him some peace, and that although he understood that society would never forgive him, he hoped God would. Dahmer closed his statement with the following, I know my time in prison will be terrible, but I deserve whatever I get because of what I have done. Thank you, Your Honor, and I am prepared for your sentence, which I know will be the maximum. I ask for no consideration. He then returned to his seat awaiting, uh, awaiting to await formal sentencing. So at least he knew he was pretty Dude, much he, done. Apparently he got baptized in prison. That's just random as shit. But I get it, though, because especially now he's, like, trying to find God and try to become better with God. Dahmer was then sentenced to life imprisonment plus 10 years upon the first two counts, with the remaining 13 counts carrying a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was not an option for Judge Graham to consider at the penalty phase, as Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. Upon hearing of... Dahmer sentencing, his father Lionel and stepmother Sherry requested to be allowed a 10-minute private meeting with their son before he was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution Columbia Correctional Institution in Portage, Wisconsin to begin his sentence. This request was granted and the trio exchanged hugs and well wishes before Dahmer was escorted away. Didn't he go to Wapan prison? Portage. Portage? I don't know, I thought my 
my dad's sister worked there. I wonder if he like spent a little bit of time there and they just like transferred. It was the I thought it was the mental prison. It was like a mental it prison. It might have been. Um I don't know if she would have talked to him or something. Probably fucking weird. Three <laughs> just as like working there. Yeah. Three months after his conviction in Milwaukee, Dahmer was extradited to Ohio to be tried for the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks. In a court hearing lasting just 45 minutes, Dahmer again pleaded guilty to the charges and was sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment on May 1st, 92. Upon sentencing, Dahmer was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution, which is the one in Portage, for the first year of his incarceration. Dahmer was placed in solitary confinement due to concerns for his physical safety should he come into contact with fellow inmates. With Dahmer's consent, after one year in solitary confinement, he was transferred to a less secure unit where he was assigned to a two-hour daily work detail cleaning the toilet block. Shortly after completing his uh, lengthy confessions in 91, Dahmer requested Detective Murphy that he be, had be given a copy of the Bible. This request was granted, and Dahmer gradually devoted himself to Christianity and became a, a born-again Christian. So yeah, right there, on his father's urging, um, he also uh, read creationist books from the Institute of Christian Research in May 94, Dahmer was baptized by Roy Radcliffe, a minister of the church, uh, in the Church of Christ, and a graduate uh, of Oklahoma Christian University in the prison whirlpool. So yeah, so yeah, he did. He was baptized in prison. Some people did not like that. That he was able to get baptized? That They didn't believe that he was for real, but you know what? I think what matters is if, if he believed or not. Well, yeah, it has nothing to do with everybody else in, in that sentence, but... There, was people, I get it. How people, his whole life, right? And then all of a sudden, because I think then he shortly after this he's murdered. Yeah, not that long. Because literally, um, besides that, like uh, with what you're saying, people hated that he was getting with all this shit. Like that he could be faking it. Yeah, no shit. People are gonna be pissed. He's like, he's not a man of God. Like he's not really sorry for what he's fucking done. That's like he thinks they're faking it just to show like fucking better of himself even though he already has 16 counts of life imprisonment <laughs> so following his baptism Radcliffe well, visited Dahmer on a weekly basis up until November 94 what were you going to say if he didn't believe that and he like believed in reincarnation and he had 16 life consecutive sentences he'd be living those like the next life he'd be living that every like, single yeah, shit that would suck that would be <laughs> not a good belief system for him fuck no <laughs> Uh, Dahmer and Radcliffe regularly discussed the prospect of death, and Dahmer questioned whether he was singing, uh, sinning against God by continuing to live. Referring to his crimes in '94 interview with a Stone Phillips on Dateline NBC, Dahmer had stated, "If a person doesn't think that there is a God uh, to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it, it within acceptable ranges?" That's how I thought anyway. July 3rd, '94, a fellow inmate. Osvaldo uh, Dorothy attempted to slash Dahmer's throat with a razor embedded in a toothbrush as Dahmer sat in the prison chapel after the weekly church service was concluded. Dahmer received superficial wounds um, and was not seriously hurt in this incident. According to Dahmer's family, he had long been ready to die and accepted any punishment which he might endure in prison. In addition to his father and stepmother maintaining regular contact, Dahmer's mother, Joyce, also made uh, regular contact with her son, Although prior to his arrest, the two had not seen each other since Christmas 1983. Joyce related that in the, her weekly phone calls, whenever she expressed concerns for her son's physical well-being, Dahmer responded with comments to the effect of, It doesn't matter, Mom. I don't care if something happens to me. Holy suicidal. 
I'm almost not suicidal, but wholly um, depressed in that sentence. I mean, I got it. He gets that he's he knows what he's done, and he kind of accepts his fate. Yeah, that's that's his um, his his um, acceptance. Yeah. On the morning of November 28, 94, Downward left his cell to conduct his assigned work detail. Accompanying him were two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised in the showers of the prison gym for approximately 20 minutes. At approximately 8.10 a.m., uh, Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the bathrooms of the gym, suffering from extreme head wounds. He had been severely bludgeoned about the head and his face with a 20-inch, 51-centimeter metal bar. His head had also been repeatedly struck against the wall in the assault. Although Dahmer was still alive and was rushed to a nearby hospital, he was pronounced dead one hour later. Anderson had also been beaten with the same instrument and died two days later from the wounds. So that means that Christopher Scarver probably killed both of them. Scarver, who was serving a life sentence for a murder committed in 1990, informed authorities he had first attacked Dahmer with a metal bar as Dahmer was cleaning a staff locker room before attacking Anderson as Anderson cleaned an inmate locker room. According to Scarver, Dahmer did not yell or make any noise as he was attacked. Immediately after attacking both men, Scarver, who uh, was thought to be schizophrenic, uh, returned to his cell and informed a prison guard, God told me to do it. Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer are dead. Scarver was admitted, er, admit, sorry, Edmonton, admit he had not planned that uh, the attacks in advance, although he later divulged to investigators he had concealed the 20-inch iron bar used to kill both men in his clothing shortly before the killings. A 20-inch bar he fucking concealed. What were they thinking he was holding that was 20 inches? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Seriously. I don't fucking know. Anyway, anyways, yeah, I, yeah, anyways, upon learning of his death, Dahmer's mother, Joris, responded angrily to the media. Now is everybody happy? Now that he's bludgeoned to death, is that good enough for everyone? The response to the, of the families of Dahmer's victims was mixed, although it appears most were pleased with his death. This dis- district attorney who prosecuted Dahmer cautioned against turning Scarver into a folk hero, noting that Dahmer's death was still murder. May 15, 1995, Scarver was sentenced to two additional terms of life imprisonment to for the murders of Dahmer and Anderson. Although Scarver had confessed in '94 to having concealed the weapon used to kill Dahmer and Anderson in his clothing on the morning of the murders, in 2015... He publicly stated the murders of Dahmer and Anderson had resulted from a con- confrontation in which one of the two had, men had poked him in the back as the three had begun their assigned work detail. In this renewed account of events, Scarver claimed that he that the two had laughed at him when he had turned around in response before Dahmer and Anderson each walked to separate rooms to begin their cleaning duty, with Scarver following Dahmer toward the staff locker room. Scarver, allege- Scarver alleges that immediately before, before murdering Dahmer, he concerned with him presented a newspaper article detailing Dahmer's crimes and demanded that Dahmer answer whether the account was true. Scarver further alleged he had been revolted by Dahmer's crimes and that Dahmer had been uh, openly uh, unrepented. The Dahmer taunted prison employees and fellow inmates by shipping his prison food into uh, imitations of uh, severed limbs complete with ketchup to simulate blood splatter, spattering. And that prison staff, uh, knowing that to, uh, knowing of Scarver's hatred for Dahmer, had deliberately left the two men unsupervised so that they, he could kill them. Furthermore, Scarver stated that Dahmer was so disliked by fellow inmates that he required a personal escort of at least one guard whenever he was out of his cell to prevent inmates from attacking him. Dahmer had stated in in his will that he wished for no services to be conducted 
and that he wished to be cremated. In September of 95, Dahmer's body was cremated and his ashes uh, divided between his parents. August 5th, 91, as the nature of the scale of Dahmer's crimes initially came to a light, a candlelight vigil to celebrate and heal the Milwaukee community was attended by more than 400 people. Present at the vigil were community leaders, gay rights activists, and family members of several of Dahmer's victims. Organizers stated that the purpose of the vigil was to enable Milwaukeeans to share their feelings of the pain and anger over what happened. The Oxford Apartments at 924 uh, North 25th Street, where Dahmer had killed 12 of his victims, were demolished on November 92, so not shortly after um, his death. The site is now a vacant lot. Alternate plans to convert the site into either a memorial garden, a playground, or to reconstruct new housing have failed to materialize. Dahmer's estate was awarded to the families of 11 of his victims who had sued for damages. In 96, Thomas Jacobson, a lawyer representing eight of the families, announced a planned auction of Dahmer's estate. Although victims' de- uh, relatives stated that the motivation was not greed, the announcement sparked controversy. A civic group, Milwaukee C- uh, Civic Pride, was quickly established in an effort to raise the funds to purchase and destroy Dahmer's possessions. The group pledged $407,225, including a 100000 gift by Milwaukee real estate developer Joseph Zibler for purchase of Dahmer's estate. Five of the eight families represented by Jacobson agreed to the terms, and Dahmer's possessions were su- subsequently destroyed and buried in an undisclosed Illinois landfill. Lionel Dahmer is is retired and now lives with his second wife, Sherry. Both refuse to change their surname and have uh, professed their love uh, of Dahmer in spite of his crimes. In 94, Lionel published a book, A Father's Story, and donated a portion of the proceeds from his book to the victims' families. Most of the families showed support for Lionel and Sherry, although three families subsequently sued Lionel. Two, two for using their names in the book without obtaining prior consent, and a third family that of Stephen Hicks filing a wrongful death suit against Lionel, Sherry, and former wife Joyce, citing parental negligence as a cause for the claim. Joyce Flint died of cancer in November 2000. Prior to her death, she attempted suicide on at least one occasion. Dahmer's younger brother David changed his surname and, and lives and lives uh, an amenity. Wow, I so butchered that word. Wow, that was a fucking lot. Um, this is definitely one of the longest episodes I've done so far. Uh, there are going to be more episodes of A Reason to Talk with Chris and where we talk about murderers and other crime stores as well, and hauntings, restaurant reviews, all that stuff. I want to thank uh, Sam for joining us, even though she left already. Um, and Tanner, thank you for joining uh, here today. Hopefully thank you for having me. I'd love to have you back. Uh, thanks for listening. Keep on rocking. Make sure you hit that follow so you can keep track of when new episodes come out. We are now on Amazon uh, po- uh, Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next time. Welcome to A Reason to Talk with Chris.